Hello, my name is Megan Holtz, filling in for Giovanna Alessandro, and welcome to the 15th ARC Audiobook Club. This month we're discussing Jarrett Corbeck's raucous and rather experimental satire of the cultural dominance of San Francisco's technology industry. The book is a self-described bad novel, and as the original subtitle reads, it's also a useful novel against men, money, and the filth of Instagram. The book is ostensibly about Adeline, a middle-aged, kind of famous comic book artist with no eumelanin in the basal cell layer of her epidermis, more on that later, as she navigates the fallout of having gone viral as a woman with unpopular opinions in a society that hates women. But this is really a structuring device for a detailed rant of a rage so hot it feels almost cool on how what seems like the way of the future and the way of the world is merely the happenstance of power, prejudice, and childish fantasy. And with me to discuss the book are contributing editor of the Arc Review, Amelia Ban Jensen. Hello. And writer and San Francisco native, Nerea Otieno. Hello. I just want to say before we start that we should uh, probably preface this by um, announcing that we have read the UK edition, which has its own... Uh, which has a note at the opening about the uh, nature of libel laws. There's a note in the edition here. And you know how there's sections of redacted text? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, That was apparently, well, it claims not the case in the US edition, but the UK edition, due to the nature of UK libel laws, where you have to prove something rather than just say it, um, they redacted some things that they they thought they'd have legal challenges with. If it was incriminating someone, potentially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so which I found so very it's, exciting. It's not blacked out in the American edition. Well, maybe it is, and maybe with a different um, boilerplate at the beginning, <laughs> one with maybe less mentions of Jimmy Savile in it. <laughs> it's a very specific. Like when they kept running, Jim will fix it. I think it's yeah. I think that's very. It's um. It's a darkly funny comment on uh, the inability to discover a extremely prevalent uh, pederast in the entertainment industry of the UK <laughs> because of our libel laws saying yeah. you can't. Um, say something incriminating about somebody without having the definite proof, which meant that the definite proof didn't come up until after he was dead and knighted. I think it's also used as somewhat of a device in the story itself. Yeah. In terms of, you know, things you have access to on the internet depending on your IP address. Yeah. So that that does make sense. I wonder actually if the um, then the redactions are different. We can we can know easily. Yeah. Please we don't know today. (laughs) Please please get in touch with us. um, (laughs) If you know uh, what he was saying about Peter Thiel in that. Oh, yeah. Because um, yes. I just want to find out how evil that man is, even though I, I think I know. Obviously, we can't tell you what's behind the redactions, which would be in your American copy of the book. No. So you'll just have to guess. <laughs> <laughs> I want to start with throwing this question out to the two of you. Is this a bad novel? I'll take it first, okay, I guess. go ahead. Yeah, I think it's a terrible novel. <laughs> In terms of the story writing structure of a novel, I think that it's a very, very bad novel. I think uh, I think I might agree with Noree on this one. I thought it was a bad novel because it took me about a third of the way into. I thought, am I really going to finish this? Nothing is driving this. And then suddenly I became completely hooked on the characters, despite them not really being full characters. Mm. Anyways... It's basically some guy who could have written this in a very long essay on the internet, but instead he published a book with some characters in it. Oh, so I think the question then is, is the fact that it's a bad novel a weakness? No, I think what if, what, with what the content that it, that it uh, tackles, I think it isn't a weakness. I think it becomes an underline, sort mm. of. It's, it's more of a bolding of what he's seemingly trying to accomplish with it. But it would be fun to see if you could just copy the entire text and put it in a YouTube comment <laughs> somewhere and just see what happens. I, th- I think he probably could. I mean, he does make the point that the kind of stuff that he wants to write about would not be appropriate in a good novel. And uh, I think he might be right. Yeah, I, I actually found it quite refreshing that once it announced that it was a bad novel and then it was just completely unconcerned with being uh, like literary fiction, it actually, I thought it did some... It's secondary uh, title of being a useful kind of guide, guide, or like a just like a practical application of some tools of thinking about this mm. of this subject. I wish it hadn't announced announced it was a bad novel, though. I wish it had just done what it wanted to do without talking about its sort of form. I think I would have I would have accepted it as a novel without its its own mention yeah. of being bad. I think I would just have liked the the experiment of it. But now I felt kind of annoyed, like the guy, as if the author had to say, use a disclaimer to say, I know this is bad. 
Mm. Yeah. But now we all know that I know that it's bad. So you can keep reading. But of course he frames the bad novel as being a virtue. That's true. He disses Jonathan Franzen, which I found. And David Foster Wallace. And David Foster Wallace. And a healthy amount of Ayn Rand. Oh, yes. Of course. Yes. I mean, nothing he said was unfair. (laughs) (laughs) No, I had to say his critique of Jonathan Franzen was quite fair. (laughs) I think I would have been more annoyed with the claim of it being a bad novel if he didn't if he didn't so determinedly uh, return to that idea. Yeah. The way that it kept coming up, the way that, like, um, when he was setting up the kind of evil of the CIA, uh, inventing the, ba- the good novel, mm. how he kept having to mention that the CIA was involved in all these different nefarious things, and when he could then could compare them to the, the KGB, and he said, the KGB was the equivalent of the CIA, except instead of creating the good novel, they beat writers up. But that's, that's <laughs> I think that, like, all of, everything he says, he just sounds a lot like a, like a well-read troll some mm. way, somehow, right? Yeah. And I think it was really, really interesting that he was able to, it, it kind of it upset me because I get annoyed with when a narrator is too self-aware and I think it actually detracts from the story, which I think is what we're kind of discussing here. But to go from, and especially what happens in the age we live in now, to say, the CIA invented this, so it's not my fault. Sort mm. of a thing. And just like, it's a conspiracy and we're all involved <laughs> in it. So the CIA invented this genre of, of, of literature and now I'm in it, but I'm not really, like, it's bad, but it's not my fault because the CIA made it up. So this is my, I don't know, it's just such this uh, convoluted way of of thinking and often, like, very contradictory, but then not being contradictory mm. that I get annoyed with, but then was was definitely the tone the book was meant yeah. to be conducted in. Yeah, it was interesting because when I read the I read an interview with um, him and he was saying how he was influenced by this British stand-up called Stuart Lee and, like, Before I read that, I was reading this thinking, this reminds me a lot of Stuart Lee, who is the most amazing comedian ever. And in the context of his sort of shows where you have these recurring, uh, these repetitions of things until they stop being funny and then they start being funny again. Mm. And when he also gives very specific knowledge about things and tries to, and creates laughs from the discomfort of people expecting a lazy punchline and then giving something ridiculously detailed, which is not on the face of it funny. That's the kind of thing that was going for. I thought that was mm. very a very clear thing. And I enjoyed now go, thinking back on it, like, yeah, that's what that was. That's why I was uh, enjoying it. You mm. recognize the form. I recognize the form. <laughs> but, so do you think the story is important? Because, I mean, I've, we've skipped right past it. Does any, we, I've always said it's like, <laughs> like, I mean, just to me, it's almost not. It's like just the thing to hang this on to make it maybe slightly more engaging than just the, um, the text file that you post on the internet. Uh, I think the story is, I mean... For the reader, it's important to kind of drive this this rant forward. You know, you kind of become invested in these characters in a way that makes you want to read a little bit more, read more of his critique, which the book actually just is, just one huge critique. But it's probably not very important in, like, the soul of the book, like mm. what it actually wants to do. I don't think the plot is very important. I, I think so. And I think I think that the story, it, it, gets, it gets masked quite often and quite heavily but I think that's also part of it and I think I think it would be you it needs to be placed in a context and and so when you're talking about all these somewhat abstract things like when he's explaining for instance how venture capitalism works Mm. but then showing how that venture capitalism then relates to gentrification which then relates to this specific person I think that that part is necessary and then I also think that when you are talking about the internet so much of it does become context and not substance in general and then the book kind of does the same that you sometimes you know you'll be reading about all these kind of uh as i consider them tab openings yes (laughs) all these tab openings and then you forget and you have to constantly go back to the story which is Mm. which is why i think the story is important because there is a thread through it and you are following this person for actually not that long Mm. um but then getting a lot of context about them about these this time in their life and uh yeah, so I, I do. I think the story is actually quite important. And I think it's actually much more prevalent than we think. Yeah. I think actually what you just said then about tab openings, that formal device that goes through that, I think it makes me think that if this hadn't been about the internet and hadn't been a self-described bad novel, I think the discussion would be about this formal device of a kind of unfolding, which then falls back in on itself. Mm. But that is so much of our contemporary experience on a browser. Yeah. It's this unfolding of a thing. And like, you know, 
even the casual mention of Jesus Christ and has to go, Jesus Christ is a political radical. I can't tell you how excited I was. I was waiting since like, since page 30. I was like, when is Jesus Christ going to come up? Because when you're on the internet, something's always going to come up. And I don't know if you, I always play this game on Wikipedia, like three clicks to Jesus. You try and think of a really ridiculous That's concept. You have yeah. three link, hyperlinks to get back to Jesus. So I was, I was honestly cheering when he, when it's like, Jesus Christ was a, like, yes. That's funny. I didn't think about it like that. I thought about it more the form was more of a historical account. Yeah. You know, like as if he was kind of writing this document for people in the post-apocalyptic times <laughs> where he would say that like, where he would write something like, Google was a company which blah, 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 blah. And you think, yeah, I, I know what Google is. But every sentence or every paragraph that he starts uh, with, he has to start with some kind of explanation of yeah. what the concept he's unfolding. But usually the concept is something that would be very well known to us, like Jesus mm. Christ yeah. or like Google. Which in this, uh, I think, book are kind of a, the equivalent, it seems. Mm. Or at least someone prays to Google. Yeah. Like people pr pray to Jesus. That's, I think for me, the most... The, it took me a while to s decide if I liked the book or not. Mm. And for the, I'd say the first half, I, I didn't. Mm. I was kind of indifferent. And then when I realized it was... Suddenly I was reading a book that was in my hands, but having the same experience that I have when I'm, when I'm on the internet. Which was, which I think is really, really, really impressive to have that where you're, as I said, like you have different tabs where if you're, if I was reading an article and it had something else, I'd be like, oh, who's this guy? And have to look that up really quickly. Yeah. And then I'd be looking him up and it'd say something about, you know, the main export of Guam. And I'd be like, oh, it's the main export of Guam. Mm. That's really interesting. And then you have, suddenly you have 30 windows open. Yeah. You have to trace back to what mm. it was and how we got there. And I think that that, um, that aspect of this, like to, to be reading a physical form of the internet and to get as lost in it. And even sometimes like he mentions, what's his, uh, Byron Crawford. Mm -hmm. And he says like the best American writer of whatever time. And I was like, who's that guy? And I go to his page and then I ended up in like <laughs> clicking on all these links and not reading the book for a good half an hour. <laughs> and, and ended on this, ended on this video of a girl playing Jimi Hendrix um, with like, very prominent female uh, anatomical uh, <laughs> attributes, mm. and I was and I remember just watching this video and just staring at this young woman's breasts and then thinking, "How did I get here?" <laughs> <laughs> and then realized that I was actually researching something from the book that was also a kind of like this this tangent that he'd been on to explain mm. the CIA probably. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it was just this like dual experience of internet while reading about the internet. And I think that that is really, really remarkable with how he, mm. to have a physical experience of the internet without any digital aspects whatsoever. I think that was really cool about this book. There's a, um, it's around page 45 where they, I think it's the second introduction of Jay Karamashan. Um, and they're talking about how he was, uh, how he was involved in the film rights negotiations of one of uh, Adeline's comic books. And it goes straight from there to a mention of Disney, to then describe Disney as a Nazi sympathizer, to then describe the hiring of a V2 rocket, and then to describe what the V2 rocket was, and that motion of just going, like, you're going down a hole here. This yeah. is, and we are not getting any further in the story. And I, and I, I do love that, um, that tangential <laughs> technique. And I think, I think I just want to pull it back to the role that the story plays in this. And I think you're very right that it is the only thing that allows us to even follow this at all. And I wonder if that is actually just the inherent, as you're saying, the inherent nature of the material. And this is the central frustration of the book is that you have all this massive critique in your head and you can just kind of see it laid out. But the second you try and explain it to anybody, it's just going to start... <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just sound like a complete asshole. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. so confused yourself. But now you've put it on a narrator and some characters, so now yeah. you're fine. Yeah. Exactly. So to me, yeah, you can say there's this kind of like caper quality to the whole thing with the characters. They're kind of uh, the madcap. They're not really in, like, you know, the, the way that Adeline has this uh, affected transatlantic accent and she's always saying darling in every sentence is irritating. And it kind of makes a ridiculous cartoon of her, which is fitting as she is a, mm. a as the drawer of cartoons. Um, but I think what's really nice is the way that this book then sets up this um, this kind of excursion. And this kind of counteraction. So when you have the uh, the viral mess that uh, that uh, Adeline gets herself into, and then she starts realizing she can use Twitter to sell more books, then it goes straight to the story of um, Ellen Flickcraft in Truth and Consequences, which then just, which is then this kind of heartbreaking story of like what happens if you're humiliated on the internet, which 
can in no way further your your ability to sell anything and you have nothing to sell and and i think that kind of that kind of allows me to like feel a kind of a real humanity in the book well it also it doesn't even with ellen it goes so far that it's not about selling something like she she lost value as a person yeah not as any like business uh, or any anything that she could add to herself she literally i mean she had to change her name in order to get a job mm. but i like the conclusion with ellen's story it's kind of this thing put in the middle of of the whole book and she's not related to any of the characters at all she's this outsider coming into the book and the whole point of the first part of her story is that the internet ruins her life because of revenge porn i guess you could call it yeah. but then the second part where she steps in she realizes that the internet is actually uh how do you say a part a part but apart mm. from her life yeah. mm. because she she sees this car crash or rather she sees someone run over by a car which could easily have been her and she realizes i'm still alive the internet is a terrible place but my life is still <laughs> is still mm. existing so i can make something of it despite this revenge porn until the last sentence in that chapter what happens there where it says and then after the adrenaline, walking around for a bit and the adrenaline wears off and she realizes she has to like do all the same stuff she was gonna was holding her back before still. Like she has to go back and she look after the... She to take care of her grandmother and... Oh yeah. yeah, but at least she has this new realization that it's not the end of the world, that the internet mm. has not cr- caused the physical end of the world. Yeah. Mm. I, think, I think that kind of, I think it dissipates though. That's the thing is like it's a thrill, that moment of real life and then she's just like... That she gets further away from that feeling again. Okay, I definitely read it differently. I okay. definitely thought it was a. It might be a wrong reading compared to what this book is actually about, <laughs> but I definitely thought it was a positive ending to this story. <laughs> she was not being beat down by revenge porn by stupid ex-girlfriends. No, but then she, what she was thinking was the way out was to move to San Francisco and work for a company that does nothing and pays a lot of money. That's right. She works for Brom- Bromado. She, her friend worked for Bromado, and then. Yeah. Yeah, and I can't even remember what Bramado did, but I Something remember about it, because gyms. they it was yeah close to nothing, wasn't it? It was close to nothing. It was an they they had an idea that had sold non-existent money, <laughs> <laughs> an idea that had gained non-existent money in order to make something that would make it easier for males to find things near them that they liked. I think it was gyms specifically. It's something gym about t- workout. It's gym Tinder. It's like yeah, gym, it's gym Tinder. Tinder. Oh my god. The worst idea ever. <laughs> I think it's actually it's actually compared with Grinder, not Tinder. Yeah, it's compared with Grinder. Yeah, Grindr. but then Tinder's based on Grinder. Yeah, it so is. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's one big mess. Yeah, it's all. Well, never mind about my positive reading of <laughs> of the internet and the witchcraft <laughs> story. I think she, I think you're right though about her being one of the most interesting characters. Yeah. Also for being the most normal. Yeah. And as I'm from San Francisco and um and I work in advertising. <laughs> um. But I like I know every single one of these characters. Like I I know people that have an affected transatlantic accent. I have I know people that have all these that have these you know really quirky things to do. And and the person who would have a rant on top of Twin Peaks, exactly that one. And I'm sure I'm one of these characters more than I <laughs> than I'm aware of as well. And so it was really like I was actually quite frustrated because I was taking it personally. Like oh about how he was writing about San Francisco, but at the same time, I've said so many of the same things to someone else, mm. but it's, you know, when you hear it about yourself, you get defensive. <laughs> um, but I think it was actually a very proper, in terms of how ridiculous the characters are, but also kind of saying that this thing has happened and it's so condensed to this one area and look what it's, look the type of people that it's, like what it's done to humanity, mm. what it's done to the concept of being a person. Everyone is this completely eccentric uh kind of weird definitely self-centered um person in all these different aspects that he really talks about the way they speak with each other what they do for work how they think about themselves and also and also when he gets into like polyamory and Mm. and which i did not know had originated in marin county which was a nice lesson for me i always thought it was a bit annoying when he attached attacked the uh the the bogus um ancientness of these words with the and it's a combination of latin and greek i was like well that's that's so many words i mean what are you gonna <laughs> like when he attacks baseball as, a, yeah. as like it's structured like yeah like a sentence yeah <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. yeah i had the same with a lot mm. of it where mm. it was kind of uh where i could say 
Macon, the guy who always wears these uh, <laughs> avocado covered colored shirts, which is true, but then it isn't true at all. Mm. And it's true in certain instances. Mm. Kind of the same, like this, the the Gladwell effect mm. of if you just you can abstract mm. anything into making it sound completely useless. Yeah, but you also don't have to do that each time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then, that, but then I re- like afterwards, because I've written several times, like next to these paragraphs, fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> um, I've written like explicitation. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> but then I remembered. But then I read. I read that he'd been influenced by Stuart Lee. Like the whole thing about Stuart Lee is he's like a kind of the the character of him as a comedian is diff- is slightly different from the actual person. The character of him who's the comedian on stage is talking to an audience that he needs the approval of, but he also thinks he's better than. Mm. And that's very much, I think, the tone of this. Like, this is a guy who thinks he's better than this world he's criticizing, but also kind of desperately wants to be a part of it. And he des- like, and so he's always just teetering onto hysteria. And so I think it is intentional, intentional when he's being overly picky mm. to like, make you lose sympathy with him, and then he wins it back with you, and then he loses it again, and that's... So, yeah, I don't think it's there by accident, but I remember like, having that initial thing of, and I think that's, you know, I feel effectively manipulated. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well <Yeah>. done. <laughs> I feel we've been talking so much about the, you know, his style or this narrator's style and kind of what he says, but not about the actual critique. What is his actual critique in this book? What is he going at? I think his actual critique is that... We are acting as if this is an inevitability and normal and necessary. When you say this, what does this mean? This form of the internet, this form of discourse, this trajectory of free speech and expression. And he is trying to show that it's completely contingent upon a whole set of things. Mm. And that that there's a that it could be otherwise, but it appears hopeless because <laughs> of the totalizing effect of it. Mm. And and the, the fact that it appears as nature. The fact that it appears as inevitable. Yeah. I think... Were you finished? Yeah. Are you sure? I can, I can be finished. No, no, no. I don't have another sentence. I would have, I would just, I'd be making one up. Is, what did you do with the other ones? I, th- they were made... They, <laughs> they were in storage. I, There's I've, a checkout I, system. I, I've, written, I've written previous... Uh, I, I, wrote, I, wrote a sim, I wrote those list, that list of things down. It's in the back. I wrote something of, to that effect. Okay. <laughs> I, I agree with you with uh, with part of his yeah what he's critiquing here. I think in general, I think it's a much larger critique of of value systems, um, mm-hmm. and that the internet becomes the perfect symbol of of all the things that have happened in the last. I would say in the book he's really talking about the last hundred years, maybe two hundred years. But I mean, then he throws in Jesus, so that's that's a whole that's a whole thing. <laughs> that's a framing device. <laughs> it's also just necessary. <laughs> there um, it was. Um, and uh, the fact that, especially as a critique of America, which is then a critique of capitalism, mm. which is completely based on a value system, right? And then also on race in America, which is another value system, where he's arguing that all these different things that have that influence. Um, the society are based upon things that really don't matter. And that also then you take a city and what are the effects of evaluation on a city that is drops certain races, don't live there anymore. Um, the way people talk to each other, like the value of uh, speech in California when it's peppered with like and you know, which are things that used to mean something that no longer mean anything. And that this company, Bramato, and venture <laughs> capitalism and how you use money that doesn't exist to make a valuation for a company that then that valuation makes it make more money that doesn't exist, that then you can pay people with real money for the mm. money for the company that, mm. that they work for that yeah. doesn't make any money, yeah. that gets rid of people yeah. who are making money, yeah. but maybe they yeah. And I think I think his I think it's I think he's critiquing this this idea of hierarchy and how we value things. I think and and the internet becomes this perfect uh sort of explosion of all those things being seen in one place extremely quickly um, and across platforms mm. and from a mm. bunch of different people. It reminds me, like it, it's, it's like that kind of riposte to the kind of uh, net utopians of, of the, of the oh, late 80s and early 90s mm. of this, um, actually in the early 2000s, that was this non-hierarchical space. And then he's saying he points to like various influences upon the people who wrote the architecture of it, saying... Of course, it's hierarchical. 
these people think in hierarchies. Yeah, and, and I remember also like, and then he's, as he's trying to say that like, these things are, they're, as you say, they're values and they're, they're complexly entwined with the world. And so when he starts talking about people attempting to then go around and solve them and they expect it to be solved in that kind of similar bromato way. Yay. Great name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and he has this, um, this, this, line, this, this sentence uh, which kind of cap- encapsulates this, this kind of language policing of Twitter, which is so ineffective because it's already patriarchal when he says that, um, and then also, and, uh, and it's already racist, it's already got all this stuff mm. built into it. And he's saying that expressing concern about racism was a new religion and focusing on language rather than the political mechanisms was an effortless and meaningless way of making sure one was seen in fr- the front row pew of the new church. Mm. And I think that was that's the kind of thing that you have these people who expect instant results from their input. Mm. And if they can't have that, they'd have to be they want to be seen to be in the right in the right lane. Mm. And so he's saying these things are, are very, very complicated, but they are also arbitrary. I think my yeah. favorite part of his critique is also this very particular towards the Internet of being a non-neutral space because of the people who have built it. Mm. And the Internet is global today. But it is. It was very a, a very locally built phenomenon by a very mm. specific group of people in mm. society, and in that way, his his uh, his approach is nearly like a historical approach, looking at the context of how things have come about, mm. and the actions that have been taken. But then you have something like the internet, which is then supposed, like you say, to be this free, mm. this free space with no with no value system. Mm. But but yeah. there it is. But the people, the, only a few people who were kind of around the people that built it thought that. <laughs> the people that built it didn't think that. They thought about, as he says, Ayn Rand and bad sci-fi novels. That's true, but I think mm. his, his critique is also that the people who built it who thought about Ayn Rand and bad sci-fi novels also thought as themsel- of themselves as, let's mm. just say, invisible, as being the mm. the purveyors of a universal and global society, as being, mm. you know, how we say that the, you know, White privilege is the mm. invisibility of race. Mm. And the same with these people who have created this this world, it seems as an, an, an unconscious replication of the hierarchies yeah. in which they're already on top. Yeah. Mm. Yes, which is then something brought up by the uh, kind of John Galt-esque rant tw- right at the end of the book by um, the author's cipher, J. Karamashian, <laughs> when he says this wonderful, wonderful sentence, which I have underlined, um, where he declares, men are the shit of the world... <laughs> All of our political systems and philosophies were created and devised without the input of women. And then he calls on women to create their own internet. And not let any man touch it for at least 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Which is then, of course, guilty of uh, imagining that women are somehow free of these kind of vices. But maybe it would be better with some sort of combination. I think this is a, a moment of, uh, of real, real frustration. I also like, I th- is this where they, uh, he talks about Steve Jobs? Yes. Yeah. Fuck your turtleneck. <laughs> Fuck your jeans as well, like ill-fitting jeans, terrible jeans and a terrible turn. It's yeah. on a 268 at the top. Oh, I just I loved it so much. <laughs> His jeans were rubbish. His turtlenecks were awful. He owns seven percent of Disney. I think that the whole rant at the end is actually probably the best part of the entire. I mean, if you if you didn't want to read the entire book, mm. yeah, you could yeah. read that speech and kind of yeah. get the context yeah. uh, without the storyline. Yeah. I, but, yeah, but it also serves as a wonderful topper. Like you've been, yeah. you've, you've you've earned it by that point. And I think that may be one of the uh, one of the real structural successes of the book is that it it makes you work for that at the end. But then you uh, you really enjoy that round. Yeah. I think my favorite uh, my favorite uh, part is uh, there is no cyberpunk future. The cyberpunk future is cancelled. The future will be like the past, boring and full of shitty jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was wonderful and true. <laughs> Definitely. But yes, there's that whole, I mean, you mentioned the John, did you say? John Galtz. John yeah. Galtz. You know, the whole irony of using a device by uh, an author that he critiques heavily, which mm. is Ayn Rand. Uh, I, I would say know. critique is a polite word. Yeah, okay, well, trash is Ayn yeah, Rand. He, he, yeah. he, he shits all over which that Which we word. did in our <laughs> podcast is, recently as yeah, well. You should go back and listen to the, the Fountainhead. Did you guys do the Fountainhead recently? Oh my God, we did the Fountainhead. Well, I'm busy and we were, tonight, everyone. <laughs> and we were being really nice, but everyone I talked to who heard it were like, oh, you really hated that novel. We were trying to be diplomatic, I remember. Ah. Yeah. And apparently... But the, in- the internet, if I've learned anything, is no place for diplomacy. Oh. But I do, I also want to talk about, while you uh, come up with your Ayn Rand statement, about when you're mentioning the net neutrality and the concept of what the internet mm. was supposed to be, and then also that it is this really crazy hierarchy as well. Mm. And um, I think some of the points when he talks about Twitter and talks about 
outrage and how to say something outrage was the best form for people to have something to comment on right mm. and that when let's say let's say it's me let's say mm. it, as as a as a black american woman and i see something that i don't like and i take to twitter and i write all this stuff mm. and then someone else is like whoa and then there's just racist remarks mm. back and forth someone brings up jesus then of course <laughs> someone's going to say something about beyonce then then, <laughs> then then trump comes up and then you know like all these things that start spiraling yeah, out of control yeah. where i feel then I would feel, from what he's saying, just disclaimer, I'm not really active on Twitter whatsoever, but um, that then I would feel that I was having this voice, that I was using my platform to to fight for what mm. I believe in, which is against all these things that all these people are doing. But while I'm doing that, then, of course, it's making more ads for Twitter, which is then owned by Google and or mm. what have you, that it all comes down to then these people that... I'm trying to argue against these rich white men that are doing all this stuff. Yeah. By making my argument, I'm making them richer. Not necessarily making them wider, but <laughs> <laughs> wow. making them all these things. Um, and so they really don't give any shits about mm. about my 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 rant. And my rant is, is then becoming quite counter mm. counterproductive. Um, I thought that was a really interesting piece about like if this place is supposed to be a platform and it's supposed to be considered net neutral um or not net, net neutral is a whole different thing but uh um that it definitely like doesn't a happen. democratic forum or something uh, yeah, yeah exactly then it, it's still it's a very hierarchical democratic forum mm. yeah and also uh just because of where i grew up and when i grew up it's it's i think it's really funny that i didn't know that certain people didn't have the internet mm. for a long time and just because of growing up in the san francisco bay area and growing up literally like around the corner from apple mm. We had YouTube apparently like years before other people did. And I didn't okay. know that. I've been using YouTube since maybe 2004. Wow, okay. And we had Netflix from 2003. Wow. Like, but it wasn't online streaming. It was actually a mail-in service. But you go on like, so all these things that I, I, I considered. I want a Netflix mailing service. It was, and it was, it was great. It was really great. Um, I thought it wouldn't last so I'm, that's why I'm not a venture capitalist. Guys. <laughs> no, no, no's for good ideas. But but also realizing that the way I was experiencing the internet when I was younger mm. actually wasn't allowed for anyone. Mm. Like I had Facebook when I was mm. quite young. I had uh, yeah, I YouTube, which then other people were putting things up later on. And so it is still a hierarchy because you can control IP addresses and you can you can censor things like Jim will fix it and mm. you can. Uh, like I, I can't I can't watch Comedy Central on Comedy Central because it's not because I'm in Denmark I can't watch critiques of my own government mm. because mm. I'm coming from the wrong yeah. IP address which is a really intense thing actually yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. um, so I think that that, that I, I I'm going on a rant now I have I have three tabs open in this conversation <laughs> least, but. Uh, yeah, should we talk about your Ayn Rand? Uh, <laughs> oh, yes, I have an Ayn Rand quote now. Oh, please do, please It's do. always appropriate with an Ayn, something about Ayn Rand. <laughs> it can be fitted into any conversation. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, this is just him, I think, the, like you said, the first time mentioning Ayn Rand. And this also s sort of shows the style of the book and the kind of, like, uh, the kind of statements that he just mm. puts out there. It says, Ayn Rand was a speed freak, a social welfare beneficiary, and a sex cultist. She was quite possibly the most influential thinker of the last 50 years. There wasn't much eumelinin in the basal stratum of her epidermis. She wrote books about how social welfare beneficiaries were garbage who deserved to die in the gutter. All her books were terrible. All her books were popular. Several had been turned into unpopular movies. She was well regarded by very rich people unwilling to accept that their fortunes were a combination of random chance and an innate ability to humil humiliate others. Ayn Rand's books told very rich people that they were good, that their pursuit of wealth was moral and just. Many of these people ended up as CEOs in high levels of American government. Ayn Rand was the billionaire's best friend. And then it <laughs> goes on to list yeah. some of Ayn Rand's better known followers, which are Paul Ryan, Vince Vaughn, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peter Thiel, Jeff Bezos, Ron Paul, and of course, Alan Greenspan. <laughs> Vince Vaughn's one of the most disappointing things yeah. in the world. Um, <laughs> I was I was like, well, you know, powerful, powerful. Who, Vince Vaughn? Yeah, and also it's always <laughs> wonderful to see that you can't libel the dead. That's also nice. Mm. Is um, that why this is not that's why, that's crossed why over? That's why a sex cultist is being left in. Ah, I see. <laughs> ah. You can't lie with I mean, anyone they can't who's be prosecuted. Seen, Interesting. Anyone who's seen Adam Curtis's uh, yes. All Watched Over by Machines of Love and Grace will agree that she was a sex cultist, I think. 
Yeah, probably. Okay. Well, I mean, at least um, aggressive. <laughs> how many? How many people do you think will read this book and then go read Ayn Rand? I would be intrigued. I think that'd be. I think it's probably an, an unfortunate offset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pr- yeah. for him. But then they will have this critique in mind. You know, they won't read it with the minds of the upper class white male and think this is amazing because I am amazing. Mm. They will think. I remember that critique that I read in that hardback yellow book that hated the internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to uh, now just throw a whole spanner in the works. Um, so we've been having a little bit of a, a, a month a month theme mm-hmm. this month, the store, a theme of the month, borrowing from uh, Kobo Holleza's uh, theme for this year, the Literary Festival, mm-hmm. uh, of uh, Vexed, which is growth in English. And I wondered if uh, either of you had anything to say about what this book says about growth. Oh, I think in many ways it says many things about growth. I think one of the obvious parallels is its critique of gentrification, which some people see as a, a growth, a good growth. You know, an area is being what some people call revitalized, which is basically throwing all the poor people out because they can't pay. And a lot of the poor people in the U.S. happen to be black, so it becomes a race, a racial problem as well. Um, That's a very sort of obvious, I think, a critique of what some would see as good growth. But then there's also the characters who don't seem to grow, who are just, you know, you start in one place and then you end the book. And they're the same, you know. It's also this kind of the flat flat world of this kind of San Francisco... Mm. Internet place. There's a wonderful, uh, there's a wonderful passage where um, introducing a trans character called Christine, mm. and when she me- when she mentions about how um, this the, the the encroaching encroachment of gentrification was basically uh, the, the threat of eviction to her was also a threat of violence. Exactly. That to be anywhere else in the world okay. was to be in more danger, and that kind of un- unsaid thing about this, like this kind of because often you hear people going like. Um, well, if the rents are too high, you've got to just move out. That's what everyone else does. It's like, yeah, but, but like people, mm. people make communities, and they mm. get, and through that, they produce meaning in their lives. And that's, are we, are we only the ability to pay rent? Is that the, mm. yeah? Mm-hmm. And I think that the starkness and simplicity of his style does lend itself to very nicely precise moments as well. I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. That when I read that part about Christine and her. Mm. Definitely, you know, uh, the chances of her losing a limb or her life were much higher mm. if she left San Francisco. Um, <clears throat> I, I do think the simplistic style of that uh, goes. But I disagree with you that that there isn't any character growth. I think that um, I think it's actually I think uh, the the cipher mm. J. Karajanum. When th- that you you also experience his life through anecdotal things about how he first met Adeline and all these things, and then his wife or his girlfriend, the the hangman's, the hangman's beautiful daughter, which sounds like a Nick Cave song, which yeah. is great. Um, <laughs> but going from from that and from him living his life and taking all these chances to then getting to this point where he doesn't want that anymore, and explaining in his gout like rant at the end about why he's moving back to L.A. I think you see a lot of that, and I think when you when you also start later on in the book getting more of Adeline and her her son, who you knew nothing about, and then suddenly it's like, oh yes, she has a son. He's nineteen. Like whoa, um, and and that like I think that you through that you can see how she's actually made decisions that she seems much more like this this woman who was born into what people would consider a really nice life because she was rich, but then her family is kind of non-existent so then she starts searching for these different sort of identities and keeps kind of falling into these things because she's rich so she's never really out on the street but she finds herself going to art school which doesn't really want to be at art school or doesn't really know what she's doing then meets this guy then starts drawing this comic book that doesn't really do anything but then is also kind of cool Mm. and then she's I think she's constantly searching for this identity because she's trying to get away from these other these other things um uh and and you realize that she has kind of steeled herself to these ideas, that she does talk about her father being an alcoholic and about her mother being an alcoholic and how she doesn't have a relationship with them and then she ends up not having a relationship with her son and she becomes so involved with herself, which is why she speaks the way she does and why mm. she has all these uh, certain friends. But she, the, the passage when she talks about how she had actually felt guilty about bringing her son into this 
crazy life that she'd built for herself with these weird people mm. doing this weird yeah. stuff and how she felt guilty about that. And I think her versus Ellen. Ellen Flitcroft, yeah. So, so we have we have two women that both get attacked by the internet. I'd say one is much more harsh than the other, but the one that apparently has kind of like steeled herself to the whole thing isn't affected. Mm-hmm. And I think that 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 I think that also shows this sort of concept of growth within this internet world, where this person is just like. Beyonce's fans hate me. What do I do? You know, and <laughs> the worst. The worst. How do I ever overcome this problem? <laughs> but then she sort of, and she knows that what she's doing is actually hurting the people around her. That her son is getting upset and getting embarrassed, mm. and but it's increasing her sales. So it also comes back to value. But I think we still learn a lot about her as a person, and that she isn't just like trying to turn the script of breakfast at tiffany's into something that could happen in everyday life but i just feel like the growth that i mean i agree with you that she has probably grown through her life i just don't think it's apparent in the book mm. like it's also the book also uh the form of the book is uh what in danish you would call the rame for telling you 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 finish where you start mm. Mm. you know it, it it finishes with the same kind of paragraph that we started with and mm. we're in the same place as we started out from. And that in itself also kind of is a non, in a non-growth mm. yeah. in a way. I, it did annoy me that she was rich mm. because I felt like this book, the only reason she's rich is because then he can write this book from the point of view of someone who's not really affected by all these things. But Except, of course, the fact that she's being attacked on the internet for having unpopular opinions. But the book isn't from her point of view. But it kind of follows her and she's not, her friends are being affected by gentrification, but she doesn't really have to worry about it. Mm. I find this kind of odd, like she's kind of cruising through life in this way that, which is, she's not down in the filth like the others. Mm. The way you avoid talking about class in films is always just by having someone who's wealthy enough and then you, you know, as a character and then they fly to New York and New York is such a beautiful set. Mm. You know, so that no one talks about, you know, how the fuck they managed to live in a huge apartment on Manhattan. Mm. And I felt a little bit the same here, that these issues weren't really, they were addressed mm. through the other characters, but they weren't really being addressed through her. Mm. I don't know if it's a problem, but that's at least one of my concerns. But, but like, like, I mean, like within the, the context of a Woody Allen film, it's going to be everyone <laughs> is in that situation. Mm. Everyone is, is wealthy. Yeah. Whereas in this one, there is that kind of relief, where, like sharp relief where like, you know, her being, her being white and wealthy is an advantage juxtaposed to the disadvantage of being female in the comic book industry. Mm. Um, I see what you mean and I see your frustration and I completely agree with it. But I think it's I think it's a very, very uh, accurate representation of America and what is frustrating about America and about San Francisco specifically um, when he talks about the population going down and of all these different things and, and, and which is completely, completely true. It's funny where Airbnb, where they're, headquarters is and <laughs> the amount of havoc they're wreaking in cities all over uh airbnb is in an area called soma which is south of market which is where a lot of uh startups are as well okay. um but also very much pushing people out and now you see this giant like there's this restaurant in airbnb which is extremely expensive okay. and it's in the middle of this place where there's like homeless camps all over yeah I, and i i think I think that the one of the strong things about this book is is that frustration that you feel with these characters and what's for some people is inconsequential and what other people isn't. And I think that how almost every single person you meet, whether it's on a tangent or it's a real character, you know if they're white or black or Asian. By which virtue is, of a scientific description. With a, <laughs> via, via scientific description, um, yeah. which is his way of saying this color is based upon this thing, but also he knows that it means value, yeah, yeah, yeah. which in America it does, it, it's, it means so much what your color is and it mm. does create a very different picture. And I think it was really important um, that he included that. I think this could transition into talking about how changing, the, how she was famous as a man, but her, so her partner in the comic book industry is a black guy, which is also an anomaly within the comic book industry With for the, the most name part. Jeremy Winterbloss. But that he had to change his name because uh, because it would be also possibly related to people might know he's black because it was a slave name. Is that the reason? I think that yeah, was the reason. Yeah, I think that's why it's called that, yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, which is very, very common. Most, most black Americans' names are traced back to that's where you get like green and white men and all these things so with him having that and then her change your name to a to a to a male that they reached this sort of level of success but they also felt that they needed to mm. and then also his defense 
uh, or not his defense, but their discussion after after uh, Adeline drops the the N word on Twitter, mm. and his whole thing is that he actually doesn't really he doesn't really care that she says it because he's from what I read he's quite desensitized to it at that point. He's just like I like I. I hate the word. I don't like the word, but I'm. It's not like I'm not here to lecture you on using it. But what I'm upset about is that now I have to defend you because you said this thing mm. that's shitty, mm. and um, and how he's so averse to that about having to be this black representation for his white friend's yeah. mistake, yeah. and how that kind of ties into other things as well. Um, uh, so I think that their their relationship, the two of them, is also really interesting to have this really rich white girl that can do whatever she wants. Um, and then frustrates people because she can ignore consequences, though she's clearly very aware yeah. mm. of her friends. Exactly. And she she also becomes friends with people that are quite like it's 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 difficult being a transvestite person. It's difficult being a, a black person in San Francisco. And I think it's I think that that sort of interplay um, and how she can so easily or seemingly easily ignore it, mm. which is frustrating, um, mm. creates something really strong. Even though she herself has to create this alias in order to be yeah. successful mm. in terms actually i'm very curious with your critique of what frustrates you about adeline mm. how did you feel then about like the beginning this trigger warning i mean the first thing you read is the trigger warning which put me mm-hmm. in a certain mindset like ah, oh, this fucking guy yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, i don't want to read this book and when he's you know he's saying that this is this is full of uh mansplaining and all these things. So how do you feel about a white <laughs> well, technically is well, he white? Although not according to with some with some eumelanin in the basal stratum of the epi- although, epidermis. According to a previous survey in the New York Times from the uh, turn of the century. Turks were true. not white. In nineteen oh nine. Nineteen oh nine there was Turks a, were not white. No. So no. With the, all the caveats. Does it, does it depend which side of the Bosphorus you're on? <laughs> the Asian side or the European side? I don't know. I love the yeah. trigger warning because I love the fact that it was using uh, a, a term, trigger warning, from like a very, I guess, politically correct uh, sort of campus uh, mentality, at least at least how you view, view it. Internet in etiquette. Mm. Yeah, perhaps, you know, I, I think trigger warning in Denmark is kind of people, if they know that what it means, they are, it, it is connected to an idea of identity politics in the US and of identity politics on university campuses. Mm. Uh, that's at least how I connected. Mm. And then I love the fact that it was just these, you know, it's not like, it just says capitalism, the awful stench of men, Jimmy Savile, <laughs> and later on, 276 pages of mansplaining, which is it's quite true. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it, would, it I thought it made a good start to this read. In many ways, this is like a very positive case for trigger warnings because yeah. it's just telling you what's in it. It is. And then, it's like an abstract. And then, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> like it, it kind of just goes, this is like now you just know this. But Whereas also, yeah, when you first read it, you go like, oh, fuck you. Yeah. yeah. I still like I'm reading it again now and I've read the book and I'm still like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> I mean, and, it's unnecessary, but it, I find it funny. I also like the last one is seeing the Facebook profile of someone you knew when you were young and believe that everyone would leave rewarding <laughs> lives. <laughs> I, I think yeah, there's this, this and the um, mention of uh, and, and the constant dissing of David Foster Wallace is the two attacks he's doing on Tumblr. That's <laughs> the two times he's really getting on Tumblr. Why is David Foster Wallace connected to Tumblr? I, I, I remember seeing a presentation about um, the three identities of David Foster Wallace as the literary, the academic and as the Tumblr Wallace. Did he, did he have a Tumblr? No, no, no. But, but he, he, he's just, you know, people just pull quotes out of, you know, context and then put a picture of him looking pretty <laughs> and go like, there's these two fish. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. And then... This book is about the internet. And I don't know if I have become accustomed to our constant everyday updates, but this book has no Trump in it because it was published, what, a year ago? When came is out, it from? Came out, came, it came out last year. but 2016. Yeah, it's from 2016. Yeah, the English edition. The, uh, true, the English edition. And then it would have been written, I think it came out maybe like, it would have but finished Jeb, written in 2015. Well, but Jeb Bush is in it as a candidate. So yeah. it could have been at the very, very, very end. Yeah. So this is not a critique of the book in any sense, mm. but it just feels so odd to be reading a book that in some ways is so up to date and so much about the internet and so much about the US and race relations and all these things. And there's no Donald Trump. Yeah. It's both like a kind of, Oh, if only the world was like he described it, that would be wonderful. 
but now, unfortunately, had if he had to write this book again, mm. there would be a whole new thing about yeah. the internet to delve into. Mm. It's yeah. like an absence. It's, it's actually really funny because I keep thinking about like how great it was back in the old days when you just had to fight against neoliberalism, yeah. and now you got to fight against neoliberalism and encroaching fascism. I miss the old days when it was like, oh man, fucking neoliberalization of everything. Like, no, no. No, now there's, there's this too, like the reaction to neoliberalism from the bad guys. Oh. But maybe that also works for it as well, that, that now this book that was printed possibly less than 12 months ago yeah, yeah. is this like respite. <laughs> you remember the good old days when we used to, this whole thing that's like shitty about the internet, you're like, oh, if, I could, if only it was like that again. If only the internet was a bit less shitty than it turned out to be now. I don't think Donald Trump has done anything new with the internet. No, no, no. I think no, he's no. definitely not. done something. I mean, but but he is, he's not named, but he's in the book quite a bit, I would say, in mm. terms of just what he's critiquing and who's powerful mm. and what's what and, and mm. gentrification. And um, I was going to say, of the you know, when you were saying the list of things that we would profit from your voicing outrage on Twitter, the one thing you could be sure that wouldn't profit would be Donald Trump because he's terrible at investing. <laughs> <laughs> Keep Twittering away. Yeah. But you're very right, yeah. This, um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it, is, it, is, it is weird to read about the internet today and yeah. not have any mention but it's also quite refreshing oh, it's so the, at the same time this is an edit we forgot a thing <laughs> it's hugely important <laughs> now i'm going to pass to naray who's going to talk about the missing chapter 25 yeah so we we as soon as we stopped recording all of us were just like what about chapter 25 or it's more official title the former chapter 25 which is actually chapter 25 but then is kind of printed as if it was he basically says like it was written and then he disagreed with what he wrote so he's not going to write it but this is what it was about (laughs) and for me you guys probably have another way of thinking about it but in terms of I looked at this book so much more as I've said as this way of experiencing the internet physically the the experience of the internet via a book and this was this was a 404 page for me you know where you <laughs> you go to somewhere that you knew existed <laughs> and that URL exists as well but you can you can get there but you can't see anything so then you have to start like researching you can you can still find the information on that page by researching about like a someone else that wrote about it so then i go read someone else's page that talks about like the ghost of what was on that url and that's exactly how i feel this page happened that something happened and you don't really like it so you delete it but nothing ever can properly be deleted from the internet there's always ghosts of it elsewhere mm. and I, I i thought it was yeah. so fucking brilliant when i got to it yeah. i was like ah there's got to be a 404 in here and this was <laughs> and I, th- I thought that this was the 404 and i really really liked it where the information is still there but technically the source quote unquote isn't yeah that's a, that's a fantastic reading of this chapter. I was um, just thinking about the impossibility of trying to have an ideological heart to a book about a thing which is completely uh, networked and ever-changing. Um, <laughs> but of course, like, he could. He's, he's got the ideological, heart, the, ideolo- the ideological heart of the book carries on through the entire book. And, but as you say, that demonstration of, uh, of, of, uh, of a permanent impermanence Brilliant. <laughs> Somehow it's also, I mean, I can tell right now by looking at this chapter, it's the one I've underlined the most. So apparently many important points in this. It's kind of like reading the last uh, speech at the end of the book. It's it's one of those chapters that kind of summarizes the, what the whole book is about, except it, it's, it says it does so in a different way. Though stylistically... I found it a bit annoying. I got to that chapter and I was like, okay, so did you actually write it? I got, you know, did you actually write a chapter? And then you thought, ah, this is never going to work. I'm just going to actually write this instead about what the chapter was actually about. Mm. Or was it a decision already made beforehand? And I know that it doesn't really matter. It's a text. Let's just put the author out of it. Mm. But somehow it annoyed me. Mm. I felt it kind of like, I felt it it, it was a, too much of an explicitation of what he, what I was yeah. already reading. Mm. But this is also his his moment to to be the the non good literary novel like yeah. like he can't if he's the, if he, too obvious if he's if he's Jonathan Franzen or Dave Foster Wallace this is the this is the part everyone's quoting from. <laughs> this is the well, t- this I is underlined the everything, so apparently you no, know, it's very quotable. No, that's also the thing. Like <laughs> it, it's doing it and not doing it at the same time. It's it's this impure kind of uh, yeah. kind but, of her- heretical child. But also now that I look at it, it's it's also. Uh, from my point of view of it being like you know the part of the internet that's taken away that isn't really taken away it's the one when he uses his symbols and talks about the n-word 
Mm. And for that to be the one that then disappears, and then afterwards you you hear the effects of Adeline and Jeremy talking about it. But this one is all about like so much more about about the N word and Paula Deen, and so maybe it is, maybe it also was quite planned to say, well, then let me tackle this topic that people don't like that then would prefer is edited out, but it still it happened and it existed, and so people will know the effects of it. Mm. That makes know. sense to me. Yeah. I th- I actually, I too think it's a very genius move. I think it's a yeah as that contrived the as it is. At the end. Uh, yeah, maybe just because it felt contrived, but it was yeah. it was a, a fun read nonetheless yeah. and enlightening. Mm. And of course, the whole thing is contrived. It's a book, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, like your sentences. <laughs> but it's baseball. like an extremely contrived contrived book. Yes, it's the it's 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 as you can see that he says in the beginning. It's trigger warning. It's warnings. called I hate the internet. I mean, we. I think we could talk about this book for a long time, but I think we're also getting to a point where maybe we should um, think about how we'd uh, wrap it up. And I'd like to ask uh, if you'd recommend this book to uh, to other people. I'm going to start with uh, Nerea. Would I recommend it to other people? I, 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 I would, because I honestly didn't know that I enjoyed it that much until having this discussion. I was kind of, like, I thought it was interesting but having this discussion, I've realized that I've I actually liked the book a lot more, mm. and um, finding myself defending characters against against you, and like, <laughs> well, they did grow, um, uh, which is something I would have thought I would have done before walking in here. And I think I still am a lot more kind of torn about him as a narrator, which is just problematic in my own head. Not I don't think it's problematic for him. I think it's probably problematic for me as a reader that I feel like just because you make a disclaimer doesn't doesn't still let you say the things you say even though that's what disclaimers are for mm. so it's uh yeah i, th- I think you mean the trigger warning or the bad novel no uh, the, not the, the the trigger warnings or it's just more of just because it's you get in this point where you where you agree like i agree with a lot of what he says but uh, somehow i just don't like the fact that he's saying it which i think is definitely an effect of the internet as well that you just kind of like want to side with people mm. or mm. but i i would Short answer. <laughs> yes, Megan, I would I would recommend it. No, I remember because I, I I um I remember reading it and then taking a kind of like the the Wallace twinge because like I'm a big fan of Wallace and then like, I read that I was like Ugh. yeah it took me a few pages to get back on. To I actually thought again. about you when I, had I it thought about you when I read that I was like oh Megan's yeah. gonna be so upset. But then yeah. I, but you're I, gonna I, love this book and you're gonna be upset for like two pages. And then I, and then I got like you know a couple of pages back and I was like I'll get over yourself, you idiot. <laughs> he, he he was he was a dick. <laughs> uh, really, would you recommend this book? Uh, yes, I would recommend this book. I thought in the beginning that I was going to hate it. I was I agreed with all the critique in it, but I hated the form. I find I found the characters superficial and even though I recognized that that was kind of the point, it annoyed me. But then I got a third of the way through it and I found myself just turning the pages and just wanting to know the you know, want yeah, just wanting to read on. Um so it was a good read first of all, and then secondly, I think his critiques are very very poignant. But I do agree with you, Nerea, that I found his lack of critique of the narrator's lack of critique of his own voice a bit problematic. That it was just like, this is a bad novel and here's a disclaimer. And now I can just say what, what I want. To me, I kind of wonder, like, um, when it says this is a bad novel as a disclaimer, I think it's lying. I think it's like the sentence, this sentence is a lie. <laughs> I think it's like, this is a bad novel. Oh, shit, no, but it's good. You know, like, it's not. But I do, I, I think it's a bad novel, but a good read. I don't think, but I don't know what I know. The thing is, I don't know what a novel is. What is it? That might be what's happening here. Neither does he. (laughs) Would you recommend it, Macon? I I would certainly recommend it. Um, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's original description. Instead of being a bad novel, it's a useful novel. Mm. I think that also, in some aesthetic theories, would make it a bad novel. Mm. Um, (laughs) Because it's not utterly useless aestheticism. Um, I also think that, now you know, having uh, conf- have my suspicions confirmed, reading it as a two hundred and eighty page one man show, <laughs> much, very strong, very <laughs> yeah, strong way to do that. True. And also knowing that knowing the person who's influencing him, I think there's a, the critique is in how certain the voices, mm. like his enunciation of these certainties, is when you want to go, oh fuck off, and then you um, you realize, oh that was on purpose. <laughs> Okay, he's done this before. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks for this conversation, guys. I think I also have ended up liking it more, and I liked it when I came in. Um, may I add? Yeah. May I add my small bit of intertextuality at the end? Oh, so yes. Okay, yeah. Bonus. Oh, am I Bonus. ruining no. everything? No, 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 no. We can. You can just edit it out. I, 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 now we'll know. I will just say that Adeline is involved 
with a guy named Eric Willems. And Eric Willems is a venture capitalist, which is described in the worst possible terms in this book. And I kept reading Eric Williams, and I thought at first, ah, this is just my mind playing tricks with me, but Eric Williams is a historical figure who wrote the book Capitalism and Slavery, which basically uh, enunciates <laughs> the fact that, no, the British did not... Um, did not end slavery because of you know humanitarian beneficent reasons. Mm. They ended slavery because it didn't make sense anymore in a capitalist system. And so he's basically putting an economic argument forward instead of a humanitarian argument, which is of course the British argument, you mm. know. And uh, Eric Williams was uh, so was also the uh, first prime minister of Trinidad and Tobago. Mm. So he's. A, I just felt felt it very interesting that this uh, venture capitalist mm. Eric Williams is very closely in his name yeah. connected to this guy who wrote Capitalism and Slavery, which is exactly what this book is about. Yeah, mm. it's about capitalism mm. and it's about how capitalism enslaves people. Mm. And also, yes, as we all move into the model of the comic book industry, yes. not paying people for the production of intellectual. Exactly. Mm. I'm sure it's not a coincidence. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence. <laughs> no. I don't right. think there's much in here that is a coincidence. Yeah, I think this is yeah, structured to the bone. Or maybe he just knows a dick called Eric Williams. Okay, well, um, thanks guys for, for talking with me today. It's been super fun. And thanks for listening. Um, join us again next month when we'll be courting accusations of heresy by reading the Gospels of Mark and John like they were just any old book. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>